Welcome to World is Burning, the storytelling podcast for your climate anxiety. I'm Olivia. And I'm Elise. And welcome back. I wasn't sure if I was going to remember what to say. Yeah, <laughs> you you nailed it. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Muscle memory. <laughs> it's like the when I used to work at an Italian restaurant in high school, I was, welcome to Mama Mia's. I'm Olivia. How can I help you? And the more stressed I was, the higher my voice yep, became. Yep, I feel that. You rattle off. Yeah, just it all comes out. And then you accidentally say it in a time that's like not appropriate to say it. Like you yeah. like have your answer my normal it just comes poem. out and you're like, uh, sorry. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so real. Um, well, how was your break? It was so good. Yeah. Like holidays were really good. Um I was in London and Edinburgh mm. for the first two weeks of January. Um yeah, it was it was like and I did pretty much like everything I wanted to do when I was there. Um You saw the gum art? I saw the gum art. I and I wasn't even thinking about it. We were going to uh Tate Modern and we were walking across Millennium Bridge and I looked down and was like, Oh, I forgot. Um, so I took a couple of videos. Um and it's just really fun. So Solid gum art. Which you talked about. Yeah. Wait, what's that episode oh. called? It has a good title. <laughs> Blibber, Blubber, and Big Balloon. <laughs> yes. Um, One of our first episodes. Yeah. So throwback. And recalled, I suppose, that London is incredibly polluted. Um, because I mm -hmm. went and I was so sick when I was there. <laughs> um, which was like, in a way, like, it it kind of made me like do everything a little bit slower and like really think about what mm. I could do. And I got like a lot of rest. Um, but like I had like the worst cough, like couldn't sleep through the night the entire time. And then I came back to Austin. I was fine. It took a second for my voice to come back. Um, but mm. like, I was like, yeah, I think it was just like how polluted London was. So <sighs> got to hate that. Uh, but it was really cool, yeah. really fun. I love London. That's funny. Yeah, I can't. I haven't been there in years, but I can't remember it being like super polluted. Just I think also because I live in New York now, and like, yeah, so many parts of New York are so so dirty. Yeah, yeah. How was your break? It was nice. Um, got to see my family, which is always really great. And just like, I love how the world slows down at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, and sort of it takes a second for it to pick up. Yeah. Uh, so. I just, yeah, I was really enjoying that. I read a bunch of books. I always get like on a reading kick in the holiday season. And so mm -hmm. I finally finished Parable of the Sower, which maybe we'll talk about at some point. Yeah. I have some catching up to to you to do reading Parable of the Talents and Kindred, but um, loved that. I also read this book called Wintering. Okay. By, I think Catherine May is her name, um, which is all about going it's called wintering rest and retreat in difficult times so it's all about just like slowing down mm -hmm. and like finding beauty in the the winter seasons either the winter seasons of your life or literally the season mm -hmm. um so it was like the perfect book to read at the beginning of the year I love that yeah I feel like yeah just I have had new jobs I've since we've finished I finished one job and then I've had two others so wow yeah the life sure. of gig work is just constantly busy um but it's that's good I'm grateful for that because especially you know there's a lot of people that are struggling to find work so yeah for me to not have to find a job for three months is like revolutionary and so nice that's awesome um, yeah 
yeah but what else um i feel like yeah just lots of media consuming but like Mm -hmm. in the best way not in the stressful way where it feels like i have to keep up with everything just kind of like oh this like really brings me joy and coming back to yeah to things that i've liked in the past uh, which kind of brings us back to this episode. I'm going to go second, but okay. I'm going to talk about like one of my favorite artists of all time. I think I'm just going to like nerd out about it. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of great. Um, but maybe idiosyncrasies is kind of the like theme of this episode. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the beginning of the year. Like I, I guess I'll just like jump into my story then. Yeah. Go for or it. Or kind of start at like a, you know, whatever pre introduction. But, I especially <laughs> um I have to remember how to like talk I suppose uh for this haven't had to do that in a second I think it was in December that Vivian Westwood passed and I just like was seeing a lot about her and about her work um both just like her impact on fashion and how she has been super active in like the climate space I thought it would be kind of interesting to get into the year with something that is like not really a downer uh and is like visually cool like culturally important outside of the climate space Mm -hmm. um as well as in it you know just like climate things are cool sometimes (laughs) so my sources are climate revolution new york times uh international policy digest dizine the guardian vivian westwood's website consequence and wikipedia because you know that's just necessary sometimes um obviously we lost vivian westwood i feel like this time of year like we always lose so many iconic people i don't know if it's like winter Mm -hmm. or what but um but yeah and i i don't know i feel like it's like a good time to also just like reflect on like how people have influenced us and whatever yeah but i think also part of the reason why I mean kind of like after reading more about you know what she's done and just like thinking about it more I think that she really exemplifies how art at its best is inseparable from politics um Mm. so I figure like this is one that like it doesn't necessarily have to go like not every single bit of her story is like perfectly linked to climate change but everything that she has done is is so political and is so like confrontational of like norm like societal norms like Mm -hmm. you know the system like how we normally think like she kind of like is a shift outside of that um which I think is important in creating any type of change so Vivian started making waves in 1971 with her boutique at 430 King Street in London called Let It Rock um, that she opened with her partner, Malcolm McLaren, who put together the Sex Pistols and like has done a million amazing, like really influential things. Um, Hmm. And they were just this like punk power couple. At the time, they were obsessed with American 50s culture. So they decorated the shop like a 50s living room and they like kind of that's so cool yeah and they had like porn mags strewn around and like rock and roll records and just like kitsch of the era Uh, but it was very like vintage inspired and so that 
uh, kind of like <laughs> 50s America um, rock and roll shop was open for a year. Um, and then in 1972, they renamed the shop uh, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, which also referenced 1950s America um, and the death mm. of James Dean. But it kind of took on a darker aesthetic. And that version of the shop was very inspired by Malcolm McLaren's anti-capitalist and situationist politics, which... I did a bit of digging into the Situationist Institution. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I don't know if you know the answer, but what does that mean? Yes. I'm intrigued. So I, I feel like in all like all the research that we do for this, like there's so many political movements and like kind of like niche little I, ideas and philosophies. Like sub-movements and yeah, stuff too. Yeah, that are just like so interesting. And I, I, it makes me want to like read books about them. Because it existed mm -hmm. between 1957 and 1972. Um, so it was pretty short-lived. And I believe it was, like, kind of started in France. Um, so it was, like, a French movement. Basically, it was a Marxist philosophy that was, like, fuck any art that separates itself from politics. Like, it, it, it mm. was, so it was very artistic. They were, like, capitalism, ruin art ruining our lives it's like degrading the quality of them um and they responded to everything they saw in mass media as like a fake model for life and provided their own alternate life experiences and they were all about critical thinking and freedom and psychogeography which is a fun way of saying um urban environments that foster interpersonal connections and community so psychogeography, what? tag that one. Oh my gosh, I love that. Wait, it's like it's like third places and stuff. You know, what? places where people gather. Um, I think it's it's like, I mean, like again, this is one where I was like, this. There's so many cool things like yeah. in here that I could literally just like scrap. Be like Vivian Westwood, very cool, but like let's just talk about <laughs> the Situationist Institution. Um, it seems just like it, it seems just like community building through urban spaces and like how our hmm. urban spaces set up to best foster community um and it, it seemed kind of like it, it seemed like it tied into a lot of like I feel like there's a lot of ideas in like the current climate space about like walkability and like yeah. that kind of like how that improves your life so like that kind of seems all tied up in psychogeography um but again like how how does living close together how can you design urban spaces not to you know like enforce the like nuclear family unit everyone is out for themselves and how do you foster yeah. interpersonal connection how do you you know create community with that yeah I think it reminds me of um the idea of third places which I think yeah maybe we've talked about before but I like the term psychogeography better but just to give context mm -hmm. a third place is the idea of like having a third place that is not your home or your work yeah um, and having third places that are accessible to everyone you don't have to buy anything uh -huh. like coffee shops are amazing third places but you kind of have to buy something in order to be there so places like parks and libraries yeah are good examples of third places that have no barrier to entry yeah uh and like we've lost a lot of them especially yeah in less walkable places um but yeah, psychogeography is so like I want to look more into that. Yeah. So so just like very interesting political 
philosophy like very intertwined in like art alternative lifestyles you know like you know, like socialism communism urban life like well, how do how does that all come together um mm-hmm. and like again like critical thinking and whatever not taking things for what they are I could go into a whole story about that um, and it makes me want to learn more because it seems really cool but I figured it was specifically worth mentioning um, because it seems to me like that idea of you know how connected art and capitalism and politics and fashion and community and like you know living in urban spaces um, it does really seem like that's at the core of Vivian Westwood's work and also her activism. But as I was saying, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die was a uh, like a darker shop aesthetically and a bit more inflammatory. Westwood made t-shirts with inflammatory slogans on them. Um, and later she would say that in fashion, she was in fashion to destroy the word conformity. Um, and I think that like kind of really starts to show its face here which kind of paves the way for maybe the most obviously conformity breaking shop iteration called sex in all caps Hmm. vivian and malcolm put a big pink rubber sign that read sex on the front of their shop and then they covered the walls of the space in spongy rubber womb like material covered with all sorts of spicy graffiti dicks like anarchist things (laughs) all sorts of crazy stuff um and they just like i I mean it just was like a little more in your face but it is again it's based a clothing store right yeah yeah it's a, it's a clothing this store. is like the decoration for it wow yeah oh, i need to yeah. see pictures it's a clothing store but it like very much seems like not only is it a clothing store but it's like a hangout like it's a it's a hub for like a whole subculture and so one of the people working in the shop uh, at the time actually got arrested for public indecency for wearing Westwood's iconic shirt featuring two cowboys with their dicks out um hmm. so <laughs> they were like ruffling feathers um like like you could literally get arrested for wearing your clothes around and again this was like like 1973 so oh, just wow. like very crazy for the time and then in 1974, the shop was reinvented again. So the, the shop just like transformed for like whatever creative feel vibe, um, whatever like um, Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren's vision was for the time. So again, in 1974, they reinvented the shop into seditionaries. And this had like an opaque glass front. Um, so it was a little like, more secretive like what's going on in there and again people were getting arrested for, for wearing their shirts so it was maybe a little <laughs> bit of like protection for them um but like it was again like it was a clothing store but it was also just like a hub for everyone to hang out um Susie Sue and all sorts of like icons hung out there uh DJ Princess Julia said of the shop it brought clothes that were about sex to the street the zips and buckles of Westwood's bondage trousers were really suggestive and fetishistic, except that they were made out of cloth, lightweight for the summer and heavier for winter. 
there were real there was real inventiveness going on if you could only afford one seditionary's item you can make things out of sink plungers and plugs and chains and mix them all up which i think is really cool to be honest um especially like since i want to eventually after we get through her backstory um get into vivian westwood's climate activism um because Mm. like the whole scene at the time like you know maybe they couldn't afford to buy a whole bunch of you know of their clothes but the whole like aesthetic was very DIY and they could save up and buy one piece that was really special and then like make the rest of their wardrobe around you know maybe basics and found items and kind of like the aesthetic didn't require overconsumption like you could Mm. buy one piece and like that was cool that was good and I imagine a lot of people did that um so I just think that that was kind of like built into the aesthetic from the beginning I think it's cool yeah so cool I mean the idea of a plunger as an accessory is just like (laughs) amazing to me yeah so it was like again it was just like very you could like take whatever and make it work um and again this was you know someone who was like in the scene saying this so like you know she was like this is what people did Mm -hmm. um So, in 1979, the shop assumed its final identity. Westwood and McLaren named the shop World's End after the neighborhood that they were in, uh, being considered in the 18th century to be at the very outskirts of London. So, kind of like the World's End. They put a 13-hour clock turning backwards on the front of the shop, and they put in slanted floors in the shop Mm -hmm. to make it feel like a ship. Um, I think it's pretty funny. They said that like the slanted floor gave the people working in the shop back problems. So they had to put in a flat floor behind the counter so that they would like not die during their shifts. Um, But it was very like, I mean, like, I don't know, like uh, that's pretty unique, pretty whimsical. Concept Um, art. Yeah. Yeah. And like, uh, I'm trying to, what, what is like, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Not all encompassing. But it's very in like engrossed. Like you're fully there's a word. Immersed, maybe? Immersed. It's very immersive. Um, yes. <laughs> uh <laughs> the the space is very immersive. Uh and it was used to showcase Westwood's pirates collection. Um I love so that. makes sense with the whole ship thing and whatever. Um, but when Vivian Westwood and Malcolm McLaren split in nineteen eighty four the shop closed, uh, but it was reopened with the same name uh, in 1986, uh, and it still exists like that today, showcasing Westwood's pieces and some, like, you know, iconic vintage things that she's made, uh, but yeah, so. Did you get to go? I, it was, like, kind of in the back of my mind that I wanted to go, but, like, I just, like, mm-hmm. didn't make it happen. I should have, um, but. But yeah, I didn't. <laughs> if anyone's listening in London and or is going to London and wants to tell us how it is, I'm yeah. curious. I want to know what their like theme is now, especially like since she's so recently passed, if they have made some sort of like, I don't know, tribute to her. Yeah, I saw um I I like was Googling it just to like see pictures like on mm. on like maps essentially. Um and I saw pictures with flowers in front of the shop. So people definitely um brought like a ton of flowers to 
well honor her so especially after you know the shop changed basically like every single year it's pretty significant or like it changed every single year of the 70s pretty Mm -hmm. much it's kind of cool that like once uh vivian reopened the shop that it kind of just stayed like that um and world and i think part of it is tied into her interest in climate action uh because like the name world's end has kind of taken on a new life and it's tied Mm -hmm. into uh, like it's turned into the world's end collection that is a range of iconic vivian westwood unisex pieces that are made using leftover production fabrics from pre- previous seasons um and the pieces are produced in limited runs uh, and the quantities are based off of like what fabric they have so hmm. it's kind of like taken on that meaning and like world's end of like climate change whatever um so that is part of why it stayed that way in 2012 she launched climate revolution during the closing ceremony at the london paralympics um and she uses that platform to work with charities and organizations to raise money for climate action and she also brings big names into the conversation to raise awareness um like she's done some photo collections of like she'll design a t-shirt and have a bunch of famous people wear it and then like use that to you know kind of just raise awareness and bring big voices into the conversation Mm. and like honestly for the past decade she's um been pretty outspoken anytime that she's had like a platform or like whatever um in 2013 she said i'm too preoccupied with uh fashion as a vehicle for talking about climate change which is an incredible danger everybody who's eco-conscious is fighting the revolution and of course we need to get more people involved to pressure governments to sort this out because we have to sort this out so a lot of times people are like hey like you want to talk about fashion and she's like yes but (laughs) um (laughs) you know like I want to use it to talk about climate change and about like you know having government action and whatever um in 2018 she received the excellence award at the ishia film and music global fest Mm? um i don't know how to say Mm. that but it's fine um but so she was winning this like career excellence award and westwood said that fashion in her mind had ceased to be important as the issue of the day and that she was bored with it And she said, we have an enormous global problem. Our politicians are not listening to our scientists. We have barely 20 years to stop things. Otherwise, we shall reach a tipping point and we can draw a line across the earth and everywhere below Paris will be uninhabitable. By the end of the century, we will only be one billion people, which like she definitely says things that are like not necessarily accurate. And also like Mm. there are two poles there's another side that's cold and might be inhabitable. like but whatever like she says very like big statements which I think it just goes like with her aesthetic like I don't mm-hmm. know like you know being alarmist big in a, statements yeah. bold shocking kind of things not not that, like you should say things that aren't necessarily factual like we just did the whole like how many people are gonna exist on earth uh mm-hmm. episode um uh and it's projected to be you know 
more than a billion people by the end of the century. But if it gets people to to look into more of it, maybe as mm-hmm. a public figure, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And I'm like, and, I don't want to condone that, but also. Yeah. And like, like she has a, a thing of like seven billion don't like seven billion don't know or just like kind of the idea that like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot a lot of people are like not paying attention um mm-hmm. you know not like you don't like if you're gonna be in that like wake up uh I don't know whatever yeah but uh I also think it's kind of interesting um because in a couple of the pieces that I read that like kind of covered her climate activism people were like hmm seems like an odd choice for someone who chose being a designer as a career and who has continued to work in fashion mm-hmm. um but she's actually done a lot of really cool things again like i mentioned the world end collection and she has cut her collections in half um which we've talked a little bit about like you know sizes of fashion collections and like how mm-hmm. that works in the past or i have at least touched on it so in a time where people are making more collections with more items um, per season, it's pretty cool that she's like, no, I'm going to cut it in half. Less is more. Buy less. Like buy like one beautiful piece and mm-hmm. like have that be your thing um, and take care of it, which again, like kind of does go back to like that original aesthetic, like save up to buy this one cool thing and then like get a plunger, get like weird shit from your house and like make it cool um yeah but like I think it is important for people to lead by example because like she could quit fashion but everyone else is still gonna do fashion um but if people were all like huh Vivian Westwood is cutting her collections in half maybe I don't have to make so many things maybe I can focus on Mm -hmm. just a few quality pieces and she has also in the past few years like fully dedicated herself to like climate action and talking about it um and she has mm-hmm. like she left her business operations to her husband so she was just like you do that that's boring <laughs> but like <laughs> um part of her like vision for the future is also like taking care of the people that work for her and making sure everyone at her company is happy um which I think is also like part of sustainability is like making sure people ha- can can survive and have a living and whatever. Absolutely. So, yeah. so like, you know, would it be the best if she was like, fashion's only bad and I'm stopping. You're all fired. Whatever. But she's like, nope. We gotta gotta take care of our people. But yeah, she's made some changes there that are pretty significant in the fashion world. Um, she, and, and she has been like, I don't want to grow my business any more than it is. Like, it's big enough. Like, we don't need infinite growth. Like, Mm -hmm. we're good. Yeah. Instead, I want to actually treat my employees well and pay them well and have them be sane. Exactly. So, like, a pretty big stance for a business person to take. Mm -hmm. Um, like, if more people did that, that would make a huge difference. Um, she has also created a manifesto to save the world, which I think is cool to look through. Um, I sent you a link to it if you want to kind of scroll through mm. it. She There is the manifesto, and then she has turned 
like her plan into a deck of playing cards, which are also on uh, the Climate Revolution website. And she's basically like, this is like the key to saving the world if you only listen to these cards. Hmm. Um, so it's just like an artistic thing, which also I think like, I don't, I don't know if there's something in the fact that she chose playing cards and like maybe that we're treating it like a game or mm. I don't know, smarter art people than me can probably <laughs> speak to that. But I, I think it's an interesting presentation and, you know, either way. Um, but on, so it's like a little zine, her manifesto. And yeah, it's very DIY, very punk, like. Yeah, the first two pages once you open it it says like what good is what's good for the planet is good for the economy which is like a big thing that she keeps saying um and Mm. then on the other side it says the best way to pacify the general public and keep them complacent is to limit information and then to encourage free and impartial discussion within that box which yeah um (laughs) and i feel like that does happen a lot in climate discussions in the main bit of the manifesto, she lays out how she basically sees our current system with capitalism and corruption being the same thing, which she opts to call a rotten apple. And mm. long st- story, very short, um, she promotes this idea of no man's land or no one being able to own land. So basically no one can exploit it um, and exploit the earth and make huge profits um, when the wealth should belong to everyone if no one specifically owns land. I could get into her, like, she's like, there needs to be governments to handle that along with people, like, like nonprofits and people like me. Uh, I should be in charge. Hmm. Uh, so it's just like, I, like the, her enforcement is like, okay, sure. But good ideas overall. She also says that we should stop war and stop the like you know military industrial complex save the rainforest Mm -hmm. save the oceans and stop fishing subsidies which like fair enough um and then the last page or the last page uh like one of the last pages is a picture of her and it says me punk over it and then underneath it says only person with a plan um which she (laughs) says she says like all like in a lot of her speeches she's like I'm the only one who's talking about this. I'm the only one who's thinking about this. No one else has a plan except for me. Um, which is like, okay. we. <laughs> but I think I honestly, the more I thought about it, the more I like it. Especially like her entire career is built off of like doing things that like shock people out of thinking like like normie culture or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's like, especially like given that it's like she's put this out towards the very end of her life, I like it's like such a cool challenge, you know, because I <laughs> I feel like when she's like, I'm the only one with a plan. I'm the only one who's talking about this. It's kind of like, no, you're not. I have a plan. I have some ideas. I know someone else who yeah. has a plan. And it's kind of like challenging action in a really cool way. Um, yeah I like that it's provocative because yeah it it goes against that I'm the only one that's thinking about this because you know at least you and Vivian Westwood if no one else are thinking about it you know yeah so I I like at first I was like what are you talking about um but then I was like that's actually I kind of like it um Mm -hmm. 
because again like I think it very much challenges action and like kind of challenges people to like get involved and share their plan too and like I I think there's something to be said for also like having the audacity and having like the vision of being like I have a plan that could work like how could we make Mm. it like how could we make it work so I don't know I think that that's it's a I don't know I think it's kind of a good model um and like why wouldn't your plan work like maybe it would like get out there um share your idea Yeah, just also having the audacity to have an idea instead of being like oh I don't know enough I need to learn everything and then I'll be able to 20 years from now have the perfect plan like no I mean education is important but also the perfect plan doesn't exist and like you might have a better idea who knows than the president of the United States and often he gets his ideas from people down below yeah so I I thought that was very cool and again like very like like a cool challenge to leave um Mm -hmm. behind um but but yeah I think that the way she made her climate activism so like aesthetically interesting and still shocking in a way um and again even like I feel like we're pretty immune to a lot of shocking things or at least some people are um Mm. I feel like it's so it's so interesting because I feel like I'm like nothing can shock me um you know things that might have been super controversial back in the day are I feel like are like yeah put a dick on the front of your climate zine you know that's not that big of a deal but then I don't know I feel like I hear like Sam Smith puts out videos and people are like uh so I don't know people can still be shocked yeah, um, people are definitely <laughs> still offended often. Yeah, um, way too much, um, in my opinion. But I think that the way she, like, brought that into her climate action is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Um, I think she has, like, such a cool legacy that she's left behind. And again, she, like, still challenges us even after she's passed with, like, the things that she's left, um, specifically speaking, on climate Another reason why this like really interested me is I I feel like I keep hearing like on the news and then also on like po- like podcasts like Hot Take and Drilled and just mm-hmm. like different things like but like again like even mainstream news are just like any like left leaning politicians are so boring right now especially like compared yeah. especially compared to like right leaning people who are like these like big characters who say crazy things and like 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 I don't like using the word charismatic but like mm, I guess they are <sighs> like I don't know I think the the way that she presents politics um and just like yeah again like daring people to share ideas and like just like fucking stand for something um mm-hmm. I thought was just like an interesting little way to start off the year and I, I, I was, de- I was debating whether I, I ended up just kind of like focusing on her, but I was debating if I wanted to like do like a political history of like <laughs> punk. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. too much. That's too much to, to chew yeah. on. Um, but I did find a leader, uh, or I did find a quote from former lead singer of Dead Kennedys, Jello Biafra, mm. that he, he wrote like an open letter after Obama was elected 
Um, and I thought that it kind of just tied into the whole thing really well. And it just like, I'm just like, it, it everything is the same, you know, the past repeats yeah. itself forever. Um, but, <laughs> but he said, you are the first president in my lifetime to have a bona fide grassroots movement behind you and ready to rock. I hope those crowds hope and urgency has penetrated deeply enough that you won't let the bridge be washed away. I remember another person who had had the audacity to exploit and toss people's hopes aside, and his name is Bill Clinton. Democrats fail time and again when they shirk responsibility and settle for being dealmakers instead of leaders. As important Mm -hmm. as it is to find common ground and build consensus for change, our situation is so dire we cannot afford any more dealmakers. The people voted for a leader. Anything less risks breaking the hearts of an entire galvanized generation who may then decide it's not worth it to get involved and participate anymore. Which predicting the future. Predicting the future again and again. Um, and I think that's like it I feel like that hits even harder with like Joe Biden as the president. Mm-hmm. Cause like he's just like, you know, ultimate deal maker guy, um, mm-hmm. boringest option that uh, that yeah. we had um and like he's saying that he's gonna run again maybe and i'm just like mm-hmm. uh you're so old even just getting to election season i'm like oh god but yeah that's so interesting then too for obama who's like some of his best policies are the things that came from that grassroots promise like that mm-hmm. he made to his base yeah um, and then a lot of his worst policies were things that were entrenched in the system and him being a deal maker yep yeah, I just think like tucking that away and like like understanding mm-hmm. the importance of a leader and like encouraging people to be leaders. Um yeah. and like having that only person with a plan energy and like challenging like and in that challenging other people to be like hell yeah, like you could do it. Like mm-hmm. enabling people to share their plan and enact it. Like I don't know. But I, I just feel like everything is kind of depressing and like the economy is going to shit and, you know, whatever. But I, I don't know. I just feel like there's a big like nugget of hope in, you know, punk politics and Vivian Westwood's yeah. legacy. um And like, again, like having a vision, being confident in a vision and sharing it and being like, this is the best plan um mm-hmm. and not being like, well, mm, let's like meet in the middle and try to keep like the shitty status quo Mm -hmm. um whatever so that's vivian westwood for you um yeah i love that it transitions so well into my story so i'm like "Mm, yes i want to talk about these things so i love when that happens i think it's so great so um i'm gonna talk about david byrne but this is a very meandering story also just like that was my energy to kick off 2023. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about art that I love and yes. this like punk spirit, maybe the psychology of climate storytelling a little bit or just like storytelling in general. Uh-huh. I was listening to uh, a podcast by this artist called The Purple Palace. Her name is, well, her name is Shayna, but she goes mm-hmm. by The Purple Palace. And um, she was just talking about when you're making art and if you're having fun making that art, that like people are going mm-hmm. to respond to that energy. And so um, before you were talking, you were going to do a story on Vivian Westwood. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll talk about something else within fashion. Like, 
you know, the politics of using fur and like this mm-hmm. recent show. And I kept yeah. looking into it and it was not sparking joy for me. It was just like yeah. making me anxious. And also yeah. like generally fashion is a area that I find interesting to learn about, but I don't feel like I know enough to talk about. And so I was like, not the vibe. Yeah. Which also like, just like side note, I, d- I like didn't work this into the story, but Vivian Westwood mm-hmm. also like, I for- I don't remember the year, but like she very early made a commitment to not using fur. And I think like she had like, she had like some rabbit fur bags or something at some point. And then she was just like, mm. yeah, we're not doing this anymore. And I I either donated the bags or like donated the profits from the bags to like an animal rights thing. And then like committed way, like, I feel like people like big fashion houses have like just started in the last like yeah. five years commit have been committing to not using fur. Um, and she was doing it like way, way, way before everyone. Um, so like yeah. Vita was like, damn, good job. Yeah. So, but like again, like she was like doing it before everyone. So that that's yeah. that can I'm be the fur about, like, <laughs> thing of the day. Yeah. And I'm curious about like, you know, plastic based materials and stuff too. True, but anyways, yeah. we could do a whole yeah. deep dive on yeah. the, the materials, <laughs> materials of Vivian Westwood, but that's a different podcast um mm-hmm. healthy materials lab would be good for that anyways yeah um <clears throat> so I don't really have I mean I do have sources for this uh episode but mainly I'm just gonna like mention a bunch of things that are sort of like primary sources I guess um okay. I also am gonna put a couple of links on our website to like Guardian articles mainly like reviews and interviews with David Byrne um, and a couple of other things, but I'll mention them throughout the episode. And then I mm-hmm. also was on Genius Lyrics quite a bit because I love Genius and I think it's so interesting to see mm-hmm. like um, interpretations of lyrics. And of mm-hmm. course, Wikipedia, it's great for summarizing things. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like I said, meandering story, I will get to what you think I'm going to get to. Okay. Um, but I wanted to start. Uh, by talking about this book that I just finished yesterday, actually. It's called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Have you read okay. that? No, I don't think so. No. It's an interesting book. It's like, I think it's like 200 pages. The audiobook is six hours. Okay. Um, very short chapters and stuff. Easy to read. And there's this really interesting chapter on negativity bias, um, or as he calls it, the seduction of pessimism. He says... It's easier to create a narrative around pessimism because the story pieces tend to be fresher and more recent. Optimistic narratives require looking at a long stretch of history and developments, which people tend to forget and take more effort to piece together. Yeah. Um, And like, of course, he's talking about this, like in the context of money and especially like the stock market. Hmm. But I thought it was such an interesting way to think about this. Like I've heard so much about negativity bias when it comes to negative news and mean comments in the sense that like one mean comment sticks in your mind way more than like 100 positive comments. Mm -hmm. But I think that the way we pay attention to it when it comes to money can be similar to climate because they're both so ubiquitous. Like we all have to deal with money. And to a certain sense, we all have to deal with climate instability. Mm-hmm. everyone is in some way impacted but it can devastate some while others are cushioned by the blow mm-hmm. I also think this is cool to think about like in the sense of why feel-good headlines can kind of fall flat like if you see news that's negative you're more likely to immediately believe it without context mm-hmm. um, so if you see scientists say we're not going to limit warming to 1.5 degrees you can think oh yeah dang whereas positive news 
which would be like, if governments enforced XYZ policy on a tight timeline, we could limit warming to 1.5. That brings out your inner cynic of like, oh, but there are so many elements. This policy isn't good enough. You yeah. know, could that actually limit things in time? What's a tight timeline? You know, brings out all of these like questions and context that you need that for some reason, yeah. when we see the negative headline, you're like, oh, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. He used it like in the context of stocks. If someone that is super smart, you really respect, tells you that this certain stock is going to have average to positive growth over like a 10 year time span, you're like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, but if someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, like it's just some random person off the street tells you that a stock that you're invested in is going to drop because of collusion or something like that, you yeah. like, immediately they get all of your attention and you're like, cool, I'll drop everything to hear everything you have to say, even if you're not like a reputable source. <laughs> yeah. Because he, again, he says optimism sounds like a sales pitch. Pessimism sounds like someone trying to help you. And like, yeah, yeah. I just find that so interesting, this, like, idea of the seduction of pessimism. You know, we've talked about climate despair on the podcast a lot and, like, you know, how hope can feel, like, stupid or oblivious to the things that are happening in the world. Yeah. But actually, maybe we can work against the seduction of pessimism and accept that maybe a better future is possible. And, like, what would that look like? Yeah. I want a quick aside before second aside before I get to my main subject but um I really like that book I highly recommend it but I find it so interesting that it's like not a particularly climate aware book um huh. which didn't surprise me as like a sort of finance self-helpy book um yeah but the author of it is you know really interesting and co-runs this thing called the collaborative fund which is like okay dedicates a significant amount of funding to climate with like really strong plant parameters and like you know, big companies like Sweetgreen and Allbirds mm -hmm. and stuff like that that are that are doing good things. Um, but there's so many examples in the book that are like, this is about the oil industry kind of un uncritically. And I'm like, are you OK? Like, <laughs> why are we doing this? OK, um, <laughs> like, but, like how they've done well at money or. Yeah, like talking about money trends in the context of fossil fuels and not being like, oh, my gosh, fossil fuels are amazing, but sort of just accepting that they're this like thing that has done well over time uncritically um I mean it's true like yeah. if you look at a strictly like businesses doing doing well like like basically I mean if we want to like talk about like the economy in like Vivian Westwood's terms like she was like economy equals like big guys equals fossil fuels equals like the economy as a whole and like this whole yeah. like, capitalist monster um so, like, I feel like it's all connected. And it, like, makes sense if you're, like, well, people that have done well, <laughs> like, ethically or not, they're, like, yeah. the, the example. Yeah. And, yeah, it's true. And, like, the, the book does talk about a lot of those, like, people that you think of as, like, the iconic or the com commonly used, like, extremely successful investors and talks mm -hmm. about the stories of people that were not that way. Or people that had wealth that was very invisible that you wouldn't know because they didn't like constantly um, use their money to project status on themselves. Um, mm -hmm. So it does like get into the subversive level of like performing wealth. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, anyways, it's, it's an interesting book, but just like I want to caveat that because I know that if people get that recommendation from me and then they're like, Olivia, what's what? up with all this like <laughs> oil stuff? 
um yeah just just a note um and I I, maybe I'll need to reread it at some point too but I really liked it Okay. okay anyways but when I think about optimism I also think about art and ways mm-hmm. that people make joyful things about difficult things. Mm-hmm. And I think people often also discount art in difficult times, like it's seen as mm-hmm. a luxury or an unnecessary or stupid. Um, and I just find the stories of individuals in this to be like really inspiring as we navigate our own paths on this world, because like, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah, I think the story of Vivian Westwood is so inspiring because she's not quite like anyone else. Mm hmm. And David Byrne, to me, is, like, not the first person you would think of as a climate optimist, but he so embodies what that means. Mm. Um, So David Byrne is someone I've admired for a long time. I discovered his music with the Talking Heads in my late teens, which was, like, whatever, 2010. Um, Mm -hmm. No, a little later. Uh, I really latched onto it. And, like, Mm -hmm. that's decades after their music was released in, like, the late 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm not alone. Also, I've had many friends over the years who cite his influence on their work, whether they're musicians or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Docking Heads for the Uninitiated uh, were a new wave, punk, post-punk, sort of a line is blurry there, um, mm-hmm. band from the late 70s and early 80s. They were very weird and experimental. Lots of atypical instrumentation non-commercial music choices, anti-corporate lyrics. Um, Also, I'm just like dying for all of the people, you know, whatever, 50 plus that are listening to this who are like, are you explaining who the talking heads are to us? Because yeah, obviously, but I feel like we're in the age of like people and like especially young people like rediscovering old Mm. music. Like I feel like there was such an emphasis on like new things and then through like TV shows and like different things like, you know, like Kate Bush and like it know, comes back around <clears throat> yeah the Stranger Things Kate Bush yeah like I feel like it's you know there's there's something to be said for like really going back and being like these classics like they slap mm-hmm. like they go hard yeah 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 it's like a revival of senses mm-hmm. um and so I think like yeah the Talking Heads have been like a band like that for a lot of people mm-hmm. um including people that weren't born until after they had broken up so, yeah, they're known for being this, like, weird and experimental, but they also rose to attain very massive commercial success in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Four of their albums are on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. No big deal. That's insane. Yeah. Their lyrics are often very unusual and sort of otherworldly. They have songs like Izimbra that are written in a non-existent language. Um, mm. Tons of influences from all over the world. Interesting you know, use of synthesizers, very classic for new wave bands, but also, you know, djembes and like unusual or atypical instruments that you might not have heard as often. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their most popular songs, songs like This Must Be The Place, Don't Worry About The Government, which I love that title, um, mm-hmm. Life During Wartime, look at common life choices from an almost like alien-like perspective. Um, you know, there's songs about serial killers and industrialization and, you know, finding basic needs during war. So serious and often disturbing experiences, but from this sort of slightly removed perspective. And at least in my experience listening to these songs, I feel like something different sticks out to me every time. It really sparks my imagination and just like encourages me to look at my life just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. 
So the iconic musician and producer Brian Eno, who was often a collaborator of David Byrne as well, um, mm -hmm. made an interesting observation about the song Once in a Lifetime, which if you haven't heard the song, it's basically about someone who wakes up to a life that they've been living on autopilot. So like they could mm -hmm. wake up driving a fancy car or living in a faraway part of the world or in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And um, they ask themselves, how did I get here? I'm not going to do it in the I'm not going <laughs> to sing for this, but I'm tempted. Um, this is very existential. And Eno says that Byrne combines the blood and thunder intonation of a preacher with optimistic lyrics. Eno says, it's saying what a fantastic place we live in. Let's celebrate it. That was a radical thing to do when everyone was so miserable and gray. Mm. Um, and I just like, I find that so interesting and cool, like, um, to, to be talking about really challenging subjects, but, you know, from a perspective that's new, it's not just complaining about what's here, but actually saying, oh, there's something special and maybe beautiful about like, even you know, waking up from living your life on autopilot. Like that doesn't even necessarily mm -hmm. have to be a bad experience. It can be just an interesting one. Yeah. Since the band broke up in the late 80s, Byrne has gone on to do all sorts of things. Experimental solo albums. He did an album with St. Vincent. He did a mm -hmm. color guard contest with high school color guard teams. Um, he's mm -hmm. written books on music and cycling. He has a nonprofit. He's worked on documentaries, music videos, etc. You name it, he has done it and often in an odd and very refreshing way. Mm -hmm. um, so he has this book called Bicycle Diaries, which I actually, okay. I will admit, have not read cover to cover. I need to. It's one of those books that I got, um, okay. I don't know, at a bookstore a couple, like six or seven years ago and was like so excited about it and then didn't yeah. finish it. Not done anything to do with the book, just as you've heard me talk about other books in that way. That's just kind of how I am. Um, yeah. But it's really cool. It's full of observations about cities all over the world and the perspective of a traveling cyclist, so himself. Mm. Um, it's not a fictional book. It reads more like, actually, I think it is a combination of blog posts and stuff. Like, there's a lot of, okay. it feels like a, a blog post in some ways. Um, and he talks about car culture, community building, urban design, um, the design of all these cities that he's going to, that he's traveled to either for tours mm -hmm. or for other parts of his life. It's not necessarily like an anti-car book, but or even like pro cycling, um, but it does make you want to go out and see the world on a bike. Mm -hmm. um, and so as he describes it, cycling is faster than a walk, slower than a train and often slightly higher than a person, um, mm -hmm. which allows one to see a place from a very slightly altered perspective. Um, I just feel like that's like kind of perfect because it's such like how I see his art is like oh, you're explaining this thing that all of us experience, but just like from up here, like, you know, a couple inches yeah, higher. Yeah, um, I love that. I, I, I always think about like, like walking on a street is so different than driving on a street is so different mm -hmm. from like walking the other way down the street. If like you yeah. have a circle that you always walk on, it feels so weird to like perceive mm -hmm. houses from a different angle. So I, yeah, cycling that yeah yeah it's like yeah it's like if you walk totally up to your, different yeah you're like you walk up to your childhood home or whatever and like you see it from a slightly different perspective and like yeah. for a second it looks like a different house I don't know I think that's kind of amazing um and so I have to admit I'm I live in New York but I'm also like very scared of being mm, killed by yep. uh, <laughs> by a, like a stray door opening or something like that not so much by like 
violence. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I, yeah. I would no. love to get over, and I think I might need to read this book cover to cover in order to get over my fear of cycling because I think it's such a great experience once you yes. get used to it. Yes. Um, I very much and, share the same fear. Yeah. Like, um, there was, I think he was talking about uh, a city in Argentina. I don't know. He was like, the the mayor or some government official was like, if a bike lane isn't safe for an eight-year-old, it's not safe for anyone. Um, mm. Which is so true of like, you know, even he says in New York at the time, so this was like 2009 or something, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wouldn't feel safe necessarily having children on the same lanes that I ride as an adult some of them are safe and some of them very much are not um but yeah so it's like it's talking about urban design but from a very artistic perspective Mm -hmm. um in the epilogue of the book which is called the future of getting around he talks about climate change including a very dire message from the pentagon to president bush in 2004 which Mm -hmm. i kind of want to look into for a story but um the pentagon warned president bush that climate change was more of a threat than terrorism um, mm. thinking of president bush in 2004 like obsessed with terrorism yeah um, that could cause a near constant state of war um you know burn says that cycling isn't going to be like a pivotal change to that possibility but rethinking our systems now including our ever important transportation system might make things easier to manage in the future um, but he also says, I don't ride my bike all over the world because it's ecological or worthy. I mainly do it for the sense of freedom and exhilaration. Hmm. And I just like that, too, because it's like you should do things because they're joyful. Um, something that I had that's not nothing to do with burn, but I was listening to an episode of the Hope Punk book club, which is really great. Okay. It's on YouTube. Um, it's made by this person. Well, their username is It's Radish Time. Taylor is her name. I'm trying to remember her last name. Followed her for ages. Anyways, um, it's her and Rosiana Hals Rojas um, talking uh-huh. about the book Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown. So like lots of combinations of things that I like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just listening to it last night. Actually, I was like kind of taking a nap in the middle of the afternoon. And I was like, I'll listen to this in the background, um, which was nice because uh-huh. they were talking about movement building and ways to successfully get other people to join movements. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. like, movements have to be enticing and enriching, joyful places that people, that show people what a better future can look like, not a Mm -hmm. place of constant self-sacrifice and struggle. Yeah. Obviously, struggle and conflict are part of any society, any collective, um, but centering joy is so important to sustaining a good culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of David Burns, not even activism, just like his way of living is kind of exemplary of that it's just like this is the better the way that feels better that exhilarates me that's interesting and I feel like aligns with my values mm-hmm. um also just again another aside hope punk if you're curious is um in general just an interesting artistic subgenre that celebrates the pursuit of positive aims in the face of adversity um wikipedia says it's focused on characters fighting for positive change, radical kindness, and communal responses to challenges. Hmm. So maybe something to look into too. And that book club is cool and has lots of episodes on YouTube to watch. Back to bikes. Um, (laughs) There are bike racks uh, designed by Byrne in several places throughout New York City. He talks about them in the book as well, Um, Mm -hmm. including ones that were designed to match the outline of a neighborhood, like whatever neighborhood they're in. 
Mm. He actually just created those as like sketches to get the minds of the actual contestants for like a design contest to get their brains going. And Mm. then the Department of Transportation liked them so much. They were like, if you make these, we'll put them up. And so he made them or found someone to make them. And then um, I have to find them over the city. But uh, apparently they're in every borough. So that's cool. Very cool. Um. And yeah, he's just someone who's kind of become known for cycling. Sometimes he's biked to and from his own shows, which is like so cool. Yeah, um, I've definitely seen people post pictures or like I th- I feel like I have friends who have posted pictures being like, that's David Byrne right there going on his bike. Yeah. Like, ah, he's got this like white yeah. hair now, too. I mean, yeah. he's not like the most distinct looking person, but I feel like he is in a different way, like. Even if he's not wearing the big suit from like stopping sense, he's a very recognizable yeah. person. So yeah, maybe that'll be my goal is to get outside more and just like try to find, find him, him <laughs> in a non-stalkery way, just in like a yeah. fun hey. little bucket list thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he gets that a lot. Um, okay. But speaking of his shows, um, one of his most recent projects is the album turned show, like touring show, turned Broadway show, turned movie, American Utopia. Um, if uh-huh. you never saw it live, you can watch the Spike Lee directed version of the film on HBO or like okay. directed version of the show. It is so good. Um, it's such a joyful experience. You know, I was reading a New York Times review of it, too. That was just like, you know, they were talking about watching it as like an experience. And I think it came out in like late 2021 or maybe early mm-hmm. 2021. So everyone's been inside for a year and they were like, make sure you make some room in front of your couch, like between your couch and your TV, because you're going to want to get up and dance. Um, and I can attest to this. I know it's annoying when people brag about shows, but I went to the show at the Ryman in 2018, mm-hmm. like when it was mm-hmm. first touring. And I literally <laughs> I was like, what, 23 or something. And so I bought like 200 something dollar ticket just by myself. So I knew I yeah. didn't know anyone else that would want to go with me and that would, would be willing to spend that much money. I got a front yeah. row ticket and ah. I literally had the time of my life. It was me. I bet. And all these, like, I mean, I was definitely the youngest person that close up. Um, and I just had the time of my absolute life. Um, it's a show that combines the album American Utopia, which is an album he made in, I think it came out in 2018. And also like a bunch of Talking Heads classics. Um, mm-hmm. But adapted and it's really like, I don't want to say simple because it's not simple. There's like 11 musicians slash dancers on stage with him. There's like very mm-hmm. tight choreography and like lighting and stuff. But it's not like there's crazy, I don't know, stage props. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, a fake brain and a table and stuff. Like it's very distilled, I guess, to what mm-hmm. is like meaningful to the show. Um, and it's called American Utopia, but it's very much a show that understands the depth of pain in America. One of the last songs, it's called Hell You Tombow. I can't say it. Hell You Tombow. It's like supposed mm-hmm. to be What the Hell Are You Talking About? It's an mm-hmm. adaptation of a Janelle Monet protest song from 2015, mm. um, which is all about racial injustice and the names of the many Black Americans who have died at the hands of law enforcement. Um, so saying their names over and over again and I just think it's interesting like to call a show American Utopia in 2018 mm-hmm. or now like it, it's so provocative um and just like 
because immediately you hear that and you're like, oh, well, it's quite far from a utopia now for everyone, regardless mm-hmm. of your political interests. But then also, like, what would an American utopia look like? Uh, it's just a very cool show. And I think that the yeah. film version of it does it very much justice. Um, so I'm going to watch the thing in full again. I was watching little clips of it before this. Mm-hmm. But I want to watch the whole thing through because it's just, yeah, it's beautiful. The last thing that David Byrne has done that I think is inspiring, hopefully not the actual last thing, but um, the last thing that I have here. Uh, at the same time that that album came out, he created this initiative and this website called Reasons to be Cheerful. Mm-hmm. They're actually looking for an editorial director right now if anyone is interested. <laughs> but um, it's all about like positive messaging. Mm-hmm. And um, I sent you the link, Elise. It's but if oh. you want to look it up now, um, anyone else will have it on our website, which is our website is worldisburning.com. Um, their website is reasons to be cheerful.world. And it's that exactly that. It's like reasons to be cheerful in tumultuous times. So there mm. was a story about like Amsterdam has an aquatic answer to demand for more bike bicycle parking. Um, mm. And so it's talking about like, yeah, bicycle parking underwater like going with the bridges and stuff Mm. um it's so interesting and cool um there's a lot it's not explicitly about like climate and environment there is a section for that and that's a large focus of what they do but there's also sections on civic engagement um racial justice education health etc um science and tech urban design so many things Uh, And it's something that he's been keeping going through the last five often difficult years. And I just think it's really interesting because uh, I feel like he's someone that experiences the world really fully Mm -hmm. and like, you know, has a lot to say about things. And so it's interesting to see him create this space that's not reductionist, but it is simple and optimistic. Um, Mm And I, you know, I think sometimes like climate good news and stuff can fall flat for me because of that seduction of pessimism and just like wanting to be negative about everything or not wanting things to be oversimplified. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, there is like a huge need for uh, media like that that isn't falling into the seduction of pessimism and tells us actually these are the things that are happening around us that you might not be noticing because they're not immediate their projects and things that like you know might not be getting as much attention or might not be in front of you um but it just like encourages you to be have hope be cheerful um and I think that's also how you create good art is by being inspired by other things and not just like falling into despair that can lead to like paralysis and just not doing anything so Yeah. yeah That's really all I have on that. I think, yeah, the only other thing I had was that I keep calling him, like, otherworldly and stuff. Yeah. Um, And he does, he hasn't been diagnosed with autism, but he does consider himself on the spectrum. um, Okay. Which I think is, you know, really interesting to to give some context to, like, the way that he sees the world. Um, Uh And I don't mean when I say he's weird or odd or refreshing. I, like, I mean it as a good thing because it's, like, seeing the world but like really cutting to the core of what the like what's happening around us that can feel so complex and like hard to understand um yeah I feel like it makes you reevaluate 
your biases, the social norms that you conform to. Um, and obviously, like in order to have a functioning society, society, everyone needs to conform to some social norms. But I think it's good to reevaluate like what's no longer serving you or no longer serving society and how you can make your life more joyful. Yeah, 100 percent. So that's all I have on that. But I like I like that both of our stories are bringing that like kind of punk refreshing spirit into yeah. 2023. Yeah, I really love that. Also, OK, so I speaking of like joyful art, I mm. think so. I I love Phoebe Bridgers as much as the next guy. But mm. like I think like she's become so popular and I feel like I've I've. And like again, I love her music. I love side girl music. Like mm-hmm. my favorite. I love it. Um, I'll listen to it when I go for a run. Like, yes. Um, <laughs> but I've been seeing so much, like so many people online say, like, I'm so tired of like just like sad girl music. Mm-hmm. And especially like like queer women music just being so sad. Um and I think, like, again, there's time and place. Like, I love it. Um, but I I almost want to, like, predict a, like, joyful music, mm. tr- like, thing that's going to happen. Like, I think there's going to be a counter to, like, how much sad, like, music there's been in the last little bit. I think bit. there already is. Like, like, I think there is. I'm thinking of Maggie Rogers' tour that's about to start. Also, yeah. David Byrne was in one of her recent music videos. It's called Feral Joy. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I just like, it's, it's, it's for sure happening. I just feel like there's going to be like, I don't know. I feel like there could be like a joyful music, like Mm -hmm. specific movement of like, yeah, fuck all the shitty stuff and all being sad. Like, let's have a good time. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think about power pop or like all of those eras, like Madonna and stuff, yeah, Michael Jackson when in the eighties, like that was such a tumultuous time. And also yeah. a time that was so hostile to queer people, especially, um, but yeah. also just war and Reagan and all that good stuff. And that's like some of the best pop of our time. So yeah, yeah, I, I believe that there's good better pop. Mu- there's Let's go. good music coming. <laughs> but also um, a sad girl pop. That's where yeah, dizzy. Yeah, so good. Um, yeah. Okay, one more art thing. This is sort of a dump situation so we're officially yeah i'm i've i've I've, yeah i'm kind kind of but just to establish that that's where we are um yes if you don't know what the dump is it's just the section at the end where we talk about other things they often still have to do a climate but not always uh yeah i sent you or we got an email to our joint email account worldsburningproduct.com from zoe scruggs who is an artist in delaware who has an exhibition at the delaware contemporary museum until may 28th um, we'll post it on our website and stuff. It's called Double Sky. Um, she was so nice. She sent us just like a little message to say that she listened to our podcast while she was making some of the art. Um, mm-hmm. The description says the artist's expansive practice brings to life urgent issues that spur from black ecological and black feminist frameworks, otherworldly color combinations and stormy imagery creating alternative space, outer space, inner space, open space for black world making free from constraint and toxicity. So cool. I just kind of jumbled some quotes together if you're confused, but I think that that's so cool. The art is gorgeous and like, so yeah, using color, contrasting colors. So gorgeous. And yeah, art art can be colorful and like expressive 
and still be about climate and ecological justice. You know, Mm -hmm. like I think sometimes people think that that has to be something that's purely academic and that's like so not the case. Yeah. Um, And and especially. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like the the separating of like scientific understanding and like all that stuff. And then like our Mm -hmm. lived experience and like how it's still like involved, like, you know, ingrained in that. So I don't know. I loved it. I was like I like was reading the email. I was like, I'm going to cry. Oh, my God. It was so, so cute. So I. I'm really excited about that. Thank you, yeah. Zoe, for making art in general so cool. and also listening to our podcast. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that'll be on our website, too, but it's called Double Sky. Uh, okay, another. I have so much art. I have. Yeah, I have a good amount of stuff. I went to see Town. Have you seen it? Okay. No. Oh, my gosh. You need to go see it. Um, all the music is by Anais Mitchell, who's like an amazing songwriter. And it's based on the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, but there mm-hmm. are so many climate themes and like anti-capitalist themes in this Broadway show. I've always heard people that I really respect, like their taste, talk about how much they love this show. And they're like, oh, okay. anti-capitalist like sentiments and stuff um, in yeah. musical and like on Broadway. And I was like, OK, yeah, sure. Like maybe if I dig deep, there will be like you'll be able to see those themes and that's cool. No very explicit very um yeah talking about like industrialization and like Hades you know selling people's souls and um but it's also a love story Mm -hmm. I just had the time of my life there I got their like um Broadway whatever they make like a special drink fully 33 Mm. dollars for a single shot (laughs) I had the time of my life um so if you're in New York where I think they're going to be touring it pretty soon um okay I would recommend going to see it very cool very cool uh on on the play front in London I saw uh Orlando um Mm. with like Emma Corrin who was uh Princess Diana in The Crown um yeah but like adaptation of a Virginia Woolf book which I have in my queue to listen to um but it was so good. It was just like so interesting, and it was such like an interesting look at gender. And Emma Corrin was amazing. Um, and I I freaking love theater. I forget that I love theater. Um, mm-hmm. I feel that. And and specifically like non musicals sometimes. Like I I I o- overlook them, but specifically in London, I've seen so many good like just plays in London. Yeah, I, I love. I mean, like, they're just so art. Yeah, they're so artistic and like such interesting depictions of things. So mm-hmm. yeah, saw that. That was really good. I don't know if it's still running or if anyone <laughs> listening is gonna go to London, but it was so good. My sister recommended it. If they do, it, we have a I lot of like, things for them to do. We have a whole yes. <laughs> go the look gum. at the Gumbridge. Go see the Orlando. Go <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go to the go to World's End. Um. Oh yeah. But yeah. Okay, another do book. Another art. Yeah. Okay. You will love this. I really think okay. Um, It's called Pure Color by Sheila Hetty. Have you heard of it? No. Um, It's another very short book. I listened to it as an audiobook, literally four hours. Um, So okay. you can listen to it in a day. I listened to it while drawing in a coloring book, and it, I had the, truly the time of my life. Um, <laughs> You're living. I love it. It's, yeah, <laughs> I really am. Uh, But it's like such a weird book. Um, Also has a lot of climate themes. And okay. just like talks about being in the first draft of existence and like what the second draft of existence is going to look like. 
but it's so it's so weird like the protagonist is um a woman whose father dies and then like her father's spirit goes into her and they live together and they fall into a leaf and then she observes things from the leaf and then she falls in love with another woman who's a human and like all of these things um but it's i think it just reminds me a lot of the david byrne kind of way of looking at the world of like Mm -hmm. just slightly different than what you might in your everyday how like how you might experience the world every day um yeah it's a really good book and so weird and I love it okay that sounds so interesting yeah um yeah okay I'm gonna have to add that to my list also I did get a library card finally yeah Um, so I got you on Libby so I have Libby and I'm gonna read like I think the amount of books I'm gonna like get through this year just because free audiobooks is gonna be wild um yeah but I will have to add that to my list of things um Mm -hmm. I yeah I finished a lot of books this year so far um because I did finish Kindred yeah yes um yeah because I'm I'm updating that um and yeah I've gone through a good number of books I need to like actually review them but right now it's just like the books i've read um yeah. most also, people i know I don't, don't actually review them okay but i always yeah. i always write like too much but it's fine because like a lot of books that i read like i started the year off reading a couple like sarah j mass books um mm. uh and i'm reading one right now um and they're they're like i'm like it's not like a like great literature um but I, it's fun and it's yeah. like it, like powers me into reading like other more serious things um so I don't know how to rate that though I'm like like uh, look four? at my review for Verity I don't remember <laughs> what it was but I was like I love this book and also god I hated this book yeah so I'm like so, I love yeah. it but like it's like you know maybe not the most amazing thing um but whatever uh I finished reading Kindred which was so good and was such mm. a fast read I was honestly shocked um by how fast I read it partially because it took me a really long time to get through Parable of the Talents just because like yeah. I don't know just like the way it's written felt like like it dragged a little bit to me um like it was so interesting but it was just a lot to take in but Kindred like went I, I read it in a like a couple days um and it was just so interesting um hmm. and uh I I have not started watching the show yet um, but I am excited too. Um, and it, it's just like, it's so, it, I don't know. And even like time wise, it's just like interesting the way everything, everything works. Um, but yeah, yeah, would highly recommend. Um, I kind of want to, maybe I'll talk about this to you after the episode, but I kind of want our next episode to be about Octavia Butler. Like that's you could probably talk more a good about idea. her books and then I can do some background on her. Um, yeah. cause I think I'll have more time yeah and yeah that could be cool so maybe yeah. look out for that if I don't get this out. yeah because I'm I'm also I started listening to fledgling by her as well which is mm. her like vampire book um and oh. I, I just think her her like her perception of like consumption is so interesting mm-hmm. um 
yeah I don't know I'm just like so obsessed like her mind oh my god um yeah so yeah I'm I'm down for that um I will I just want to read like every one of her her books um yeah same but not in the next week so not in the next week (laughs) and then (laughs) yeah we'll do that so have you watched the movie Vengeance with BJ Novak Yes, it's so good. Okay, yeah. I, I just watched that the other day, and I thought it was so funny because it is, like, a m- movie about a podcast, but, like, mm-hmm. a podcast and Texas, and <laughs> there were just so many things, but, like, I oh, just yeah. thought it was so... It was such a good movie. So, like, I, I feel like we have plays, books, art, and I figured I'd throw in a movie, and it was just, like, a fun a fun watch, and I, yeah. thought, it, I thought it was good, had some good statements. I recommend uh-huh. that to you. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, BJ Novak is so great. Does like is also just a very creative person who's done a lot of great writing and acting. Um, but what I loved about that is like this. It talks a lot about like creating a narrative and like how that yeah. can sometimes be manipulative or um, you know, pull at emotions in a different way. And then you can also just put that to the side. And is that actually the best thing for the story either? When you just like scrap it, I'm not. I'm not really hopefully not spoiling the movie because it kind of goes yeah. back and forth there but it, it was um, yeah and yeah, even interesting movie. to see yeah the progression of like the name of the podcast um mm. and like the tone it took so I yeah. I just thought it was like a very good movie and like funny let's talk about a movie that's about a podcast on a podcast so yeah anyway <laughs> no yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I love that <laughs> movie too I kind of want to watch it again um I saw it a few months ago but anyways yeah, it's fun okay um, socials this is a podcast, which you can listen to pretty much anywhere. And you can also subscribe or follow yeah. or give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're on socials at World's Burning No G on Twitter and Instagram and at World's Burning with a G on TikTok. Um, we have a website, worldsburning.com, where we'll put all our sources. There's also links to all our past episodes and past sources. Um, yeah. And then just send us an email, worldsburningpod at gmail.com. And come say hi to us on any multitude of platforms mm-hmm. honestly if you've made any art or songs or anything like it, that are joyous or have to do with climate like yeah. even if you didn't like specifically make them while listening to our podcast like <laughs> Zoe Scruggs <laughs> like send them to us like I'd love to honestly share that on our yeah. socials just like mm-hmm. if you have cool things so yeah send them time. I want to see them okay anyway okay bye see you next time bye see you next time <laughs>